Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Indie Club Podcast. My name is Tom Kozaczynski, your host. Today, I'm joined by Tom Hunt, another Tom. Tom uh, is uh, a, an amazing guy that I actually had a privilege of meeting recently, and he will be talking about what he does uh, and talking about BCAS, and he runs a SaaS marketer community. And I will now let Tom introduce himself, and then we'll just take it away. So go, Tom. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Tom Hunt, and my background is if really just online marketing. So I spent, I have a degree in chemistry, and then I spent four years working for big consulting companies, and I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. And so then since 2013, I've just been selling things on the internet, basically. <laughs> and, and at the start, you're really bad. And you, you can lose quite a lot of money. <laughs> then, then over time, you get better and better. And so now I've, I've, leveled, I've reached some kind of level of proficiency with selling things on the internet. And really in the past, in the, part, in the second half of those seven years, I focused more on selling software on the internet. And so that has led us, has culminated up to today where I have a community called SaaS Marketer where we write case studies on SaaS companies and how they've grown. Uh, and then we, we, we build the attention and we build the community and then we monetize that through various different ways, services, and also software you mentioned being cast. So that, that's, the, that's the story so far. Uh, okay, before I actually ask you about your company, how did it came about you going from doing chemistry to marketing? What, what was the deciding factor mm. to make that switch? What's it? What's the transition? Yeah. So I didn't, I, had the, I didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body until 22 or 23. So now 30, 31. Um, so I did chemistry because I like science at school. And then I transitioned from chemistry to consulting because in my like final year chemistry project, I was like on my own in a lab. I didn't like being on my own. And so then I wanted to work with people. So I went into consulting because that's the only like <laughs> graduate uh, scheme that I got um, and then from there the, the, the move to marketing wasn't because I was interested in marketing it was because I wanted to leave my job and when, when you want to leave your job and you want to be an entrepreneur and you can't code but you like the internet the only other thing you can do is marketing and so that, that was my only option okay so you, you, you just said, I don't want to work and I just want to go solo. Yeah. So it was the year of 2014. I remember at the start of the year, I came back, I went to Oslo with my ex-girlfriend and it was a really bad trip. And I was like walking back to my house and it was raining really hard. And I had to go back to work the next day, I think it was like the 2nd of January. And I was like, I really don't want to do this. But I was probably listening to some, some inspirational podcasts or something. And then I set, so I set myself, I got in the house and I wrote down that I was going to leave my job. I was going to replace my salary by the end of 2014. Um, and then that was when, that was when things really kicked off and ended up starting. It was actually a service business. Tried loads of different things, lost a bit of money, but then created a service business where I had a team of people in the Philippines and I would sell those people to startups in London. So I'd be like, you can use someone in my team and you pay this much per month. And so that business started in the middle of 2014. And then by the end of 2014, I think on the day before 
on the last day I handed in my notice. So I actually left in like January or February 2015, but I, I had managed to replace my salary by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have any uh, expectations of how your life will look like once you go solo? And did it all change? Like, did you make any wrong assumptions and then realize along the way that it's not everything you hoped to be or, or maybe it became more? Yeah, good question. So I was like in the digital nomad like thing. I wanted to be, I wanted to travel and work. And I think it, it kind of met my expectations. The one that I was talking about this the other day with my current girlfriend is that when you're like striving for a goal and you think you're going to be successful when you hit the goal, you think, oh, I'll be happy when I hit the goal. But actually, this is a quote, I think it's from Evan Pagan, who's like an entrepreneurial teacher. He says that wherever you're going, you, you take yourself with you. And so if you're not happy when you're in your job, it might be hard, like it might be hard for you to be happy when you're not in your job. And so I kind of found that and it wasn't necessarily the, the work that changed my happiness. It was more my, uh, my view on the world and my inner peace. And it's quite deep but for early on in the chat on, but. <laughs> oh no, please. But, yeah. I would, I would love to hear more about that. Uh, I had a guest a couple of weeks ago who's a digital nomad for past four or five years. And he basically sold his company to go and travel the world and works uh, as a consultant. And he's on a spiritual journey more than anything else. So I think there's a, there's a lot to be said here, especially uh, like you said, when you, you get rid of the, everything that you think is a problem and then you realize, oh no, it's, it's actually just me. And then you need mm -hmm. to work on yourself. And how do you actually approach that part? Yeah, so how did I approach working on myself? I guess it was a combination of like consuming information, meeting the right people, and meditating. I think that's it. And, and some other stuff, like some more spiritual stuff, like taking drugs, etc. Again, I don't know if we should talk about that. It's, um, uh, it's free for all here. Don't worry. It's not oh, really? yeah, a PG-13. Okay. So if you say, oh, I took ayahuasca trip and it made me realize who I am, it's totally fine to say that. And it's totally... Yeah, when it, I, I did it, I thought, this is quite an interesting thing. So I, I spent like two grand to go to Ibiza for a week to stay in this like really, really nice house with like 18 people and take like ayahuasca, all these and some other things, mushrooms and stuff. And... I actually don't think that had a massive impact. I think I resisted the, the ayahuasca a little bit because I don't really like psychedelics. So I, I don't think that actually had a massive impact, but it was more like the specific people that I met, specific books that I read, and a few like life events that helped me come to a greater inner peace, I think. I'm, I'm, I, by the way, I'm definitely not like perfect at all. Like, I'm definitely not there. And I still like get stressed and still like not happy with where I am and still get obsessed about goals and business. Um, so I, I'm not like the guru at all. And it's always like a <laughs> continuous journey. So you um, said you read, a, sorry, uh, you said you read like a couple of books. Do you, would, could you maybe pick one that made, that you can still pinpoint as a significant impact? Yeah. Yeah. The, the one that um, I think has made, well, the one that comes to mind first is The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. And well, it, it was a book, it was a combination. It wasn't written by the Dalai Lama, it was written by this uh, US journalist, I think. Uh, but it's called The Art of Happiness. Um, and that's really good. Like the first two chapters of that are really, really good. Okay. Any chance, name, right? any chance there's a, you read Four Hour Workweek in there? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That came like, actually, I, yeah, I, that came like very early on. 
So like 2013, 2014, 2015, I was reading everything. So yeah, I read all, like for sure, two, for our work, we was quite um, influential, I think. Yeah, in terms of getting rid of your old job and setting yourself up so you can continue basically with the same income and then go live somewhere cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, you, like uh, Sales Marketer is an agency, but also a community for marketers. And I'm a very strong advocate of building a community and, and working with people and helping out people. And I would like to hear from your perspective, how does it help your business and how do you help other people? And like, what is, the, what is your goal with building your community? Yes, great. Great question. And I actually love that you call SaaS Marketer an agency because from the front end, it doesn't seem like an agency. Um, so the way we're building this is most people will build the product or service and then they'll build a media company on the side, either a blog or a podcast to advertise the product or service. But with us, it's like the other way around. So we have the, the media company or let's just call it a blog, SaaS marketer that we use to get the attention first. And then once I had that attention, I started learning about these people and learning about how I could help them. And then, then the, the, the product and services came later, right? And so, so that's the approach. Um, and so the general strategy is how can we add the most value to a very specific type of person? And that person is obviously a SaaS marketer. And, and how can we just keep doing that? How can we afford to keep doing that over time so we grow the community, right? The, the only way you grow your community is if you add more value to, to the lives of the people that are within the community. And so the way, after a bit of testing, the way I found that was most time effective to do that is taking other SaaS companies that have grown and then breaking down how they've grown. And so my, I like with seven years of marketing experience, I guess I understand a little bit about how these companies have grown. And so I actually started publishing. Yeah, I actually started to be daily, like one thing that I saw that a SaaS company had done that I thought was quite impressive. And it was a daily email. I did that for like three or four months last year to build out the email list. Uh, but now it's shifted to one every two weeks and it's a big like 3,000 word breakdown of everything they've done. So we found that the most cost-effective way of adding value to the live community was creating content. Once we had an audience, we then started looking at how can we add more value to these people, but then also capture some of the value back in terms of cash. And so right now it's monetized. Uh, the, 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 the majority of the revenue comes from a service. So yes, we are essentially an agency on the back end, although we don't have an agency website where there's just the work with a link at the bottom of the site. Um, and so that's a very specific kind of content growth service that we run that, that includes a podcast. Uh, next is we have built a piece of software that you mentioned earlier called Becast that um, automates part of that process, basically. It's a, it's a B2B podcast host. So that's the second way we monetize. And then we also have sponsors and then we also have some affiliate links. There's basically four ways that we're able to take the attention we have and capture some value back so we can throw more cash back into the content production so we can grow the community more. And so an example of throwing cash back in is two months ago, we, we launched our own podcast, which follows the journey of about B2B marketing, follows the journey of SaaS marketer and interviews other SaaS marketers, basically. So that's an example of how we're able to reinvest to then keep the, the community growing, which will then in turn, in theory, if we get it right, capture more value for us in terms of those four monetization strategies and then it's just a flywheel that, that keeps, grow, keeps going in theory. Mm -hmm. How do you, when, I, I know people, a lot of people start 
the newsletter and, and want to send out some stuff and want to help out and want to be regular. But it basically they cap out on their early audience. How did you go from that breaking that first, you know, glass ceiling and then actually expanding yeah. your market list? So we, we don't have, we like have like 3,300 subscribers, right? So it's not massive. We have a Facebook group of 1.2,000. The podcast gets about 4,000 down in the month. So it's by no means massive. Um, how did we grow to that? I think there was, I, I probably spent like 200 to 300 pounds boosting the post for the case studies on paid. So it's not really paid. Organic isn't really working that well for these, this type of content. Um, and so it's really been from other communities and, and other people promoting. And so how do we do that? Let, let's start with the communities. So it, there are other places on the internet that have your, your audience, right? They just don't, they just don't know you yet. And so you have to somehow go into those communities and take the audience, but you can't just take them. You can't just spam people because they won't come. So the way you do that, if you go into that community and you, you add some value somehow, and then you bring people back onto your, your property, and then you get the email address. That's basically a strategy. So the, the best communities for us are like Product Hunt was good. We did a launch recently. Growth Hackers is good. There's another community called Zest.is, which is quite good. Um, there's like five Facebook groups in the space where we've been able to go in, add value, post content, and then somehow bring people back. Um, so that's like the, how you extract from other communities strategy and then getting other people to share strategy. This, I, I think the way there's a couple of ways. The first way is if you include other people in the content, they are incentivized and the content is good. They're incentivized to share because it makes them look good. Right? So every case study includes a SaaS company. Um, and so it, it's making them look good because they're, they're mostly all positive and, and so they might share. So that's one way we get exposure. Um, when you have an email list and a community and you're doing all this stuff for free, you, you can also ask them to share, right? So we include share links and now we get a significant amount of shares from the audience, right? That they really like the content. Um, how else do you get people to share? Yeah, that, that's all that comes to mind. Um, so it, it, it's by community than sharing, but the one caveat I will say to finish this response is that that only works if the content is really good. And so if you're fine, if you're out there trying to get exposure and it's not really happening, like month by month, if your traffic's not going up, or if your email subscribers are not going up by let's say 10%, then I wouldn't spend more time promoting. I'd go back and work out how you can make the, the content, the information you're producing better. Okay. Yeah. That's that. I think that's great advice. Great advice. Uh, so, uh, you, uh, you put a, you started putting out this, uh, case studies that you share with, uh, your audience and uh how did you actually start like how did you decide okay i'm going to start making this case studies and i'm going to put them out basically for free for my audience and then you how did you basically know that it's going to bring value back did you was like uh something you decided yeah. on or it was just more of a like let's see what happens yeah i thought so i was copying other people so i was copying so nathan lacker I was copying him, the blog sales hacker, I was copying them. There's a guy called Anthony Pompliano who has a, a mailing list in the crypto space. I was copying him. So I was basically amalgamating all these other people that had been able to create content regularly and then monetize. Um, 
And so I started doing it and my kind of, my reassurance was that regardless of whether I actually get an audience here or make any money, it's still a really good thing to do because I'm A, developing my writing skills and B, I'm learning about how to grow SaaS companies, right? And so those, those skills, regardless of whether I get an audience or make money, probably will allow me to get an audience or make money in the future, right? And so those, like, if you look at the amount of time spent in the first like three to four months when I was doing it every day, so I, I, I would wake up and start writing at like seven, um, the, the ROI is not good, right? But I've been able to develop the skills, which now uh, are kind of paying dividends. Mm-hmm. How, uh, so, okay. How do you measure actually developing your skills? Like, how would you say mm. you've improved? How do, how do you actually track your improvement from day to day? Yeah. So if we just take writing, it's quite hard. I think there's, there's two ways you, you're like looking at yourself and you're like, wow, that's fucking good. <laughs> um, uh, but you, you, you have to be careful with that because you can always bullshit yourself. Um, but then the other is just feedback from other people. And so I, ever since I first started sending the email, I would get replies of people being like, God, this is the only email that I, that I open every day. Your writing's really good. And so, yeah, I think it's a combination of, of like from yourself and from others. And if you don't, you have to be careful about yourself, right? Because we're all delusional. <laughs> you yeah. um if you're getting feedback, unbiased feedback from people you don't know, that's that's when you know that you're 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 probably onto something. So you started alone, and how many people you work now at the moment? Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, so it, we have no employees. So, but there's nine freelancers. Um, well, actually, so SaaS Marketer is like 100% mine. There's I think it's eight or nine freelancers, um, and they range from podcast editors to content writers to web developers to virtual assistants to designers and then, then bcast is is myself i have a business partner there called neil who i actually met through the community that's another benefit of communities is you can find business partners and so so it's just me and him working on bcast and he's building and i'm marketing um so probably in total there's like nice and people yeah, I, I always tell people that they should join communities because they will find like-minded people that are like yin to their yang. Or uh, my typical example is developers and designers because one's, one can code and other can design most of the time. Uh, what would be your take on actually meeting the people? How would you approach? Like, do you just blast people like, hey, I'm building this, I need people like this? Or it happens more organically? Yeah, I think I haven't actually... I think the one, if you're trying to attract like collaborators or business partners, the best thing you can do is actually do some stuff yourself. Um, and the classic one is like the non-technical co-founder who has an idea and is trying to find someone to build it. Right? And so this is a classic example. And most people just say, I have an amazing idea. Can you sign an NDA? And then can you work for free for two years um, and get 30%? Um, which is probably not going to get you a very good partner. And so the other way, and this is how I've always done it, is just either pay contractors to build stuff or do stuff yourself, Get either get customers or get some kind of traction. And then you take that and you share that um, to 
attract people. So what you're doing there is, is you're really just stack, you're increasing the value for them to collaborate with you because you've already done stuff. And so if you're there trying to find partners and no one's responding or you can't find any good people, do some more stuff to like skew the value so the deal is better for them. And then you're more likely to find someone. Yeah, one is bigger than zero and everybody has an idea. So, mm. so in the past couple of years, uh, there's been a lot of talk about growth hacking and uh, I know the, the term has been thrown around a lot and, and people don't know the difference between uh, digital marketing and, and growth marketing and growth hacking and ha like the, the word hacking, I think has been abused in the last couple of years. And can you tell me like from your perspective, what is the difference that you see and in what is the difference between B2C and B2B marketing? Yeah. So on the, the growth hack thing, I, I, I would say a hack is you know, if it, you're exploiting an opportunity. So there's some like a new platform or something that, that can get you free or cheap attention um, in the short term, because as more people understand that there's this free attention somewhere or cheap attention, then it gets more expensive, right? So hacks are like these short-term exploitations, which are great and can make you look really good uh, and can grow you really fast, but they're not like really a long-term strategy. Um, between the difference between growth and marketing, I don't, I don't really know what I would say to that. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, but what I will say is that instead of hacks, I think we should be looking for flywheels. I read a few other posts on this is that what, how can you somehow do one thing, which is going to make something else happen, which will come back and then make the thing you just did easier. Right. So his. The, the kind of flywheel concept. I, I was actually reading one of my old case studies today um, on Moz. So if, um, the, the shares about like Moz and the founder of Moz had this kind of content social SEO flywheel that they just executed on and still executing, are, are still executing on today and just have insane SEO and insane domain authority because they just, they knew that they would just create good content that would get more traffic, that would get more social kind of uh, permission Sets, and then you, then they'd share and they get more traffic and they didn't like and it's just this, this big flywheel and so th that's what i talk about quite a lot in the case studies is how how SaaS companies are building these as opposed to just exploiting the short-term hacks so that, that's my thoughts on that topic uh, on b2c versus b2b um i yeah i i not too sure how i would differentiate obviously like the common thing to say is that they're still you're still marketing humans still humans within businesses that are making the decision. And I do agree with that. Um, so I, I'm not, I, I think there's probably more opportunity for like large scale paid spend with B2C. Um, obviously you have smaller transaction volumes and therefore you, you can't, or smaller transaction values and therefore you can't, you don't have a sales, you don't have a salesperson going to sell like a packet of chewing gum. So I, I think there's, Definitely opportunity for like, like greater, like large amounts of pay spend. My expertise really isn't in the B2C market. We had a male leggings business um, that was B2C, but it never did, it really did that well. And so I don't have much to share on B2C. Um, I'm more focused on B2B marketing, I would say. Okay. And what is your, uh, what is your like ultimate goal with, uh, with Bcast? And do you, like, are you aiming, do you think you will raise funding at some point or do you want to keep it bootstrapped and build it on your own? Yeah, I think that we'll 
there, there may be a time in the future where we'd raise money, um, but it would, the terms would have to be good and we'd have to really trust the investors. I don't really like authority. And so I don't like, I mean, my girlfriend has a business with like, she's raised like 2 million. She has loads of investors, like 40 investors. And that's good for her and the investors are great. But for me, it just doesn't feel like, I don't know, I, I, it kind of feels like she has to report. They have a monthly meeting. She has to report back. It's almost like having a job. And so I, I don't really want that. It, 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 but it's not to say we would never do it because there may be a time in the future where if we did take on a million pounds, we'd be able to grow the business three times as fast over the next two years and it would be worth it for everybody. And so I'd, I would, the, the negative of having the boss uh, would be overcome by the positive of the increased growth rate. So I can't say it would never happen. Um, but right now we're kind of happy bootstrapping um, and, and we're kind of happy being free to experiment and kind of grow as fast as we want to grow. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, when you when you mentioned that you have problems with authority, I, I'm starting to find that being a common thread with people who at some point just quit their job and do the things on their own. And anything that comes with any strings attached is automatically very repulsive. Um, mm. I, I feel the same. I can I, I understand. So, so yeah, I, I think I, I had the same issue since I was in grade school. Well, it just kind of felt... Well, why do you, why do I have to do whatever you tell me to do? Because I want to do what I want to do. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah. It it was the feeling that kept me from uh, making me quit my first job and then doing it on my own for over 10 years and then moving to UK, starting a job thinking, oh, maybe in UK the jobs are different. And then a couple of months in, Mm. it was like, no, they're not. The job is still a job. So like (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, because I want to be courteous of your time, uh, can you tell me uh, what is the best people where people can reach out and and uh, engage with you? Because I know that some people might have questions and where can people get to your content apart from your site? Uh, do you use anything and, and would you like to add anything maybe that I missed? Uh, yeah, so uh, LinkedIn is normally the place. So Tom Hunt on LinkedIn. But yeah, all the content on SaaS Marketer the IO is, is completely free, all the case studies. So I'd recommend, if, you, if you're in SaaS, I'd recommend reading them because uh, the feedback we've got on them is really, really good. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions about anything marketing related, then you can just ping me on LinkedIn or on Facebook. It's just Tom Hunt, but you'll probably better find me. Um, and would I like to add anything else? Maybe, maybe I'd like to ask you a question. What do you think, like the, the whole, the, the, the podcast, this, this is about like the indie movement, right? Yeah, it's about being on your own, being either a freelancer or bootstrapper, starting your work, just basically not having a job. Got it. Why do you, so in the last like three years, right, this whole like indie thing has been like blowing up. Why, why do you think that is? I think the way people work is changing. And I think especially in the last couple of months during the, the whole COVID shut, uh, people kind of uh, are now being uh, confirmed everything that we kind of felt internally and subconsciously. Like, why should I commute for an hour to sit somewhere and do the same thing I can do at the same device and on my own home and do the same job? Especially when you're working in a company that has multiple offices and you're working with people 
that are everywhere. Why would I sit at your place when I can sit at my place and still work with the same people in the same way? And I think more and more people are starting to make that into something they want to live with. And one of the things that I uh, heard, I think it was from Tony Robbins, not sure, but uh, the difference between having a work-life balance that everybody's talking about and then having the work-life integration where uh, I wake up as a product designer and a comedian and somebody who loves doing podcasts. It doesn't stop at 5 p.m. and then I become something else. Of course, there are jobs where you are from nine to five, you are a plumber, and then at 5 p.m. you actually do your passion project of making knives or, or whatever. I'm trying to make people understand that they can do whatever it feels right and whatever they wake up to, they can turn that into their own day-to-day uh, -day life and then make money off of that, make a career and, and do whatever they wanna do. I know that like there's no freelance bank teller. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. It's not aimed for them. But there, uh, there are people who are like us in a situation in an industry where they can do, do their own thing and work uh, on whatever they want to work and still be really successful at it. And whenever I do my talk on freelancing and making people realize that they can actually quit their job keep the same client and make twice the money in a half amount of time. Uh, I just love hearing the, the glass shutter in, in their head. It's like, oh, really? I never realized that. And it's just a great feeling. This is why I'm doing this because I, I think I'm helping people. I know a couple of people that have helped and I just want to continue doing this and see people actually break free from this. Oh, I need to go to the work and then I need to do this and then I need to do that. And just basically doing the things somebody else is telling them to do. Yeah, I mean, I love a Tony Robbins quote, um, but I, I think what you're saying there is that technology is enabling us to work in different ways. And when you have that, when you have more flexibility, you can uh, integrate the work into your life in a more seamless manner, as opposed to just the typical like clock in, clock out. I have to do this because um, I get paid. No, I, I, I totally agree. And it's only going to increase, right? The 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 internet is like the, the permissionless nature of the internet is allow allows this like exponential increase in like tech like its usefulness and therefore opportunities yeah um, i agree so, i yeah. think there are uh like for example maybe we can say that people are productive eight hours a day let's say that uh you or me or whatever you actually have eight hours of being productive although i feel that's a lot way less but you want to make those hours in your own time so like, like we discussed before we started recording you went on a run you took a shower and then you did some work when you have to go to work you need to basically do the the commuting and everything and it just doesn't feel well and I'm trying to find a life where I can make work work in my own schedule and not in somebody else's. And sometimes that's like I work from 10 to 1, then I'll take a lunch break for two hours, take a rest, read a little bit, then work from 5 to 8. My wife will come home from work, we'll have dinner, and then I will work from 10 to 1 because this is when I feel like uh, being productive or whatever. And if you're working 9 to 5, it doesn't give you the same flexibility. And at the end of the day, you may not be as productive as you would like to be. For sure. Yeah. Okay, great. So thank you for the question. Uh, and thank you for your time. I will uh, link everything that we talked about in the show notes and everything that you mentioned, especially the uh, book uh, from Dalai Lama. I think 
uh, people who want to read that. I know I will. I haven't, but I will. I will add it to my list. Uh, thank you once again for your time uh, and hope to see you again and do another episode once we have another chance. Thank you, Tom. Bye. Bye.